Well, it was a new story, and it was out of Los Angeles, California, of course, my old stomping grounds, but let me read what the paper reported. A shopping mall Santa Claus had a meltdown after refusing to cuddle a, uh, a bawling toddler, calling the mother evil and ripping off his beard and costume in front of a startled children. Kelly Fornaturo, 33, said she told Santa her 19-month-old son Brian would stop crying if he put his arm around the child. According to her, uh, Santa told her, I will not imprison your child. When I went back up to pick, pick up the baby, he said, was it worth it? Was it worth it for you to torture your child for a picture? You must be an evil person. The woman then told Santa she planned to file a complaint. At this, she said, the man leapt from his throne and said, you can complain about me if you want, but I'm Santa Claus. I am the best person in the world. I am good. The mother then told Santa he should not be around children. <laughs> no kidding. With that, she said, he got really angry. He started to rip off his clothes. He took off his beard, his wig, his coat, his belt. Some stunned parents covered their children's eyes. Santa was then led away by security guards and a replacement was brought in. Now, you might have gone to see Santa at the wrong time if your child ends up watching him rip off his clothes and his beard and if they see him led away in handcuffs. You've probably heard the phrase many times, timing is everything. But that statement has a lot of truth in it. There's a lot of truth in it. I mean, the, the difference between a good joke and a bad joke is the person's sense of timing. An appropriate pause makes the joke. An inappropriate pause can kill the same joke. Timing is essential in dealing with people. I mean, you don't ask for a raise when business is not going well or when things are tense around the office and you don't try to connect with someone who feels intimidated by you and you don't ask for a favor when someone is stressed or when someone is angry. Timing is also important in cooking. I mean, the juicy steak on, a on the grill is just a raw slab of meat if it's undercooked. And it's just a chunk of charcoal if it's overcooked. And timing is important in so many areas. The right time to take medication. The right time to buy stock or to sell stock. The right time to ask someone to marry you. The right time to change jobs. So much of life is about learning to do things at the right time. And Christmas time is making... Uh, is about making sure the timing is right. I mean, we've said for years that Christmas is a time for children. And so we have certain, to time certain aspects of Christmas uh, in a way that will bring joy and surprise to our kids and our grandkids. Other aspects about Christmas involve finding the right time. We have to find the right time to get together with family, to get together with friends. We have to find the right time to open gifts and the right time to have Christmas dinner and the right time to buy our pastor that brand new uh, Corvette. 
so far, no one seems to have found the right time on that one. Just want to tell you that. But the Bible tells us in a few different places that God paid attention to the proper timing of Christmas. He paid attention to proper timing that first Christmas. And so in this series, we're going to spend some time looking at what the Bible says about time as it relates to Christmas and as it relates to the coming of Jesus. I pray uh, that as we pause from the busyness of the Christmas season and we focus on God's timing, that we will allow him to work in our lives and that we will allow this Christmas to be the right time and a great time for us spiritually. But let's begin by looking at the verse that will be our theme verse for this entire series. The verse is found in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Here's what it says. But when the time was right, God sent his son and a woman gave birth to him. This verse indicates that God sent Jesus when the time was right. Now think about that for a minute. What made it the right time? Why was that night that Jesus was born in Bethlehem the right time? I've got to tell you, it probably didn't feel like the right time to marry. I mean, I don't think that she dreamed that her baby would be born while they were on a forced trip to register for the census and uh, to pay taxes. And I'm sure it didn't feel like the right time when she was giving birth uh, in a stable that was really a cave far from home. But God determined that that night was the right time. And maybe it has never really uh, caused you to think before, but think about it. Why would that particular day be the right time? It may have had to do with the corruption in the religious world at that time. God's people, the Jewish people, were being led by some very corrupt leaders at the time and it was a time when maybe it was the right time because their hearts needed to be turned back towards God. And it may have had to do with the political system at the time. The Roman oppression of Israel would have made it easier for the gospel, the good news about God sending Jesus to give forgiveness. It would have made that an easier time for that good news to spread around the world. His timing might just have had to do with the availability of a young girl named Mary and her fiance Joseph who God knew would faithfully follow him who God knew would parent Jesus very well but all of that's really speculation we really don't know for sure but God determined that that time was the right time for the birth of Jesus so let's look closer at Galatians 4 and um, We'll look some later at Galatians 3 also, but let's examine God's timing. First, I want to underscore that it was the right time for him. It was the right time for him. Look at Galatians 4. We'll reread verse 4, and then we'll read verse 5 also. But when the time was right, God sent his son, and a woman gave birth to him. His son obeyed the law so he could set us free from the law, and we could become God's children. 
Now there's a lot in this passage. First it points out that God sent his son and a woman gave birth to him. Now that seems kind of obvious when we read it, but that really is a significant thing that that verse says. I mean, that really is the Christmas story. Those few words highlight one of the most important doctrines in the Bible, one of the most important principles of our faith. It's what theologians call the incarnation. The reason that it emphasizes that a woman gave birth to Jesus was because that meant God became human. God became a man. Jesus stepped out of heaven. He gave up all of his rights and all of his privileges and all of the power of being God. And God entered human flesh. God restricted himself for nine months to the womb of a woman. And then he restricted himself to the body of a baby. And for 33 years, God was in human form. And this passage tells us why he did that. The reason that he did that. It tells us that it was the right time for him to free us. That's the first thing it says. It was the right time for him to free us. He came to free us from the law. Up to that point, everyone who really wanted to follow God, everyone who was doing their best to be right with God, was doing so by trying to perfectly obey all the rules. They were trying to perfectly perform all of the rituals that were laid out in the Old Testament. And nobody was getting it right. Nobody was getting it right. Everyone was finding themselves breaking the law and when you broke the law there was a way to deal with it when you broke God's law you could become okay with God again but the way that you had to deal with that was by obeying more rules and performing more rituals that had to be carried out at the right time and in exactly the right ways and apparently God decided that people had had enough of that People had had enough of that. He had wanted the law to teach us something important. He wanted it to teach us that even when a person is really trying hard, they're really trying to follow God, they're really trying hard to always uh, manage to do things right, when they're trying hard, they just can't do things right. Not all the time. You already know that, don't you? You know that from your own life. I mean... I'm sure there's times when you have decided, okay, today I am going to obey the speed limit. I am going, if it says 25, I'm going 25. If it says 35, I'm going 35. I'm not going to speed today. And I'm really going to try on this trip to go the speed limit. And you're really trying hard and then you glance down and you notice that your speedometer has crawled five miles an hour above that. Or as hard as you try to obey the law, you don't see that stop sign and you just kind of roll through it. You see, there are times when we really are trying to obey the rules. And even when we intend to live by the rules, even when we're trying to get it right, sometimes we just mess up. We just fail. And then there's the other times when we don't, just mess up 
we intentionally sin. We intentionally just decide to do things our way, to ignore his guidelines. But Jesus came to free us from the law. He came to do away with this idea that we get right with God by trying to do everything perfectly and following his rules perfectly. And he did that in a really unique way. He came to earth as a human being. He took on flesh. He was incarnated into uh, this world. He became a human. And then he did something amazing. From the day he was born until the day he died, he obeyed perfectly every law. Scripture says he was tempted just like you and I are tempted, but he never sinned. Not even once. And then he died on the cross. And the same God who had said that the price that we owe him because of our sin is death allows Jesus' death to pay your price and to pay my price. So because the penalty is paid, we are free from the law if we have trusted Jesus and let him pay the price for our sin. And that's great, isn't it? Isn't that a wonderful thing? And it'd be great if that was all there was, but it isn't done yet. Notice that it was also, for the, it was also the right time for him to adopt us. It was the right time for him to adopt us. The passage says Jesus did all of this so that we could become God's children. So that we could become God's children. And we sang about this a little while ago. It's a song that I asked them to sing for this message. Do you remember what we sang? Who the sun set, sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Isn't that great? God didn't just save us. When he set us free, he adopted us into his family. We are his children. And one of the best things that you need to really understand is God didn't get stuck with you. Now, let's just be honest. We love our family. But many times we got stuck with some of them. But when a child's adopted, they're chosen. And God didn't get stuck with you. He wanted us. He chose us. We sang about that too, didn't we? I'm chosen, not forsaken. I'm who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. Isn't that great? God decided that first Christmas was the right time to send Jesus so that we could become his children. So we could become his children. And so he chose us and he adopted us. And that day was the fulfillment of God's plan. It was the fulfillment of God's dream. He wanted you to be part of his family. He wanted us to call him father. What an honor it is to be chosen by God, to be adopted into his family and to become his child. Some of you are followers of Jesus and you've trusted him for salvation. But you're pretty hard on yourself. 
I mean, you might be sitting there filled with guilt, filled with shame about the sins that you used to commit or the sins that you're currently committing. And you may think that what I'm talking about is absolutely true for everybody else in this room except you. I mean, you wonder if you've wandered too far from God. You wonder if he would ever love you, if he would ever forgive you. And if you've thought those things, you need to notice this last part. It was also the right time for him to assure us. To assure us. Look at the next couple of verses in Galatians chapter 4. Start with verse 6. Now that we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And his spirit tells us that God is our father. You are no longer slaves. You are God's children and you will be given what he has promised. When we become followers of Jesus, God sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. The Holy Spirit is the part of God that lives with us and lives inside of us every day. And the Bible refers to him in several ways. It refers to him as the comforter. It refers to him as the helper. His job is to constantly remind us of important truths. And this passage says... The Spirit tells us that God is our Father, and the Spirit tells us that we are no longer slaves. Uh, The passage says that he tells us over and over again that we are God's children and that God will keep his promises to us. And part of the reason that God has given the Holy Spirit to those of us who have trusted him and so that he will save us is to help us in times when we begin to doubt. To help us in times when we find ourselves discouraged or begin to think that God's relationship with us isn't as strong as it once was. In fact, Ephesians 1 tells us that his spirit inside of us is God's guarantee to us. Look at this passage from Ephesians chapter 1. And in Christ, God put his special mark on you by giving you the Holy Spirit that he promised. The Spirit is the first payment that guarantees that we will get all that God has for us. Then we will enjoy complete freedom as people who belong to Him. The goal for all of us is the praise of God in all His glory. God's Holy Spirit living inside of us is the down payment. It is the mark that God puts on us. It's the guarantee that God intends to keep his promise and to give us all of his blessings. It reinforces the fact that we belong to him. And if you're a follower who has wandered away from God and you feel insecure, you feel concerned about that, that might be God's spirit inside of you nudging you and urging you to get back on track to follow him fully again. And the fact that God's spirit is in your life is a reminder again of the fact that you are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. You are a child of God adopted by him. You are chosen. You're not rejected. You're not forsaken. So that first Christmas was the right time for him. It was the right time for him to free us and the right time for him to adopt us, and the right time for him to assure us. But I can't help thinking that God brought us all here together today for a reason. That we're here in this room today because this Christmas time, this Christmas, 
is also the right time. I think it's the right time for us. The right time for us. And to understand this better, I want to step back a few verses, back into Galatians chapter 3. You might not know it, but when Paul, the man that God used to write this letter to us, when he was writing, he wasn't writing in chapters and verses the way that we read it today. He was just writing a letter to some friends of his. And so I think what he says in chapter 3 really is part of what he was saying in chapter 4. So let's start with verse 26. Let me read it to you. All of you are God's children because of your faith in Christ Jesus. And when you were baptized, it was as though you had put on Christ in the same way you put on new clothes. Faith in Christ Jesus is what makes each of you equal with each other, whether you are a Jew or a Greek, a slave or a free person, a man or a woman. So if you belong to Christ, you are now part of Abraham's family and you will be given what God has promised. I think this is saying a couple of really important things to us. I think it's saying that it is the right time for us to live like his child. We want to live like his child because of our faith, because we have trusted Jesus to save us and we have become God's children. We are part of God's family and that means we need to live like that. We don't need to live like fearful people. We don't need to live like servants. We are God's children. And understanding that we're his children ought to affect many areas of our life. First of all, I think it ought to affect how we view God. It ought to affect how we view God. You might not have had the best relationship with your earthly father. I mean, maybe he wasn't a good man. Maybe he inflicted a lot of hurt in your life. And you need to know as God's child that God is a good father. God is a good father. I mean, he is the father you wished your earthly dad would be. He is loving and he is caring and he is on your side. He's cheering you on. And if you had a wonderful earthly father like I did... God is even better than your wonderful earthly father. He's even better because your earthly father has certain limitations and your heavenly father has no limitations. But living like his child also ought to affect how we pray. It ought to affect how we pray. I mean, we approach our dads differently than we approach somebody that we hardly know. We talk to them differently. And we can pray knowing that God wants what's best for us. That God loves us, that he cares about us, that he wants to give us good things. And we can pray with the confidence of a child, not the insecurity of a servant. You know what? It also ought to affect how we treat each other. The fact that we are God's children means that we're family together. The passage points out that our faith in Jesus helps us Uh, find forgiveness, helps us to become his children, but it also makes us all equal. There are no superstars in God's family. There's no first-class Christians and no economy-class Christians. We're all equal. We share the same footing there at the foot of the cross. And so we're his children, and that means we're family together. 
That means we probably ought to figure out how to get along to love each other, to help each other, to care for each other here because we're part of his family. So we need to learn to live like God's children. We need to enjoy the benefits of that. We need to learn to enjoy being family together. But there's one more important aspect of this that I want you to notice. And uh, it's also the right time for you to accept your adoption. To accept your adoption. Here's the amazing thing about God. He offers us all of these benefits, but he doesn't force any of them on us. God is a gentleman. He doesn't force any of this on us. And it's amazing to me that many people understand that God has chosen them. He, they understand that he is waiting to add them uh, to their fa his family, that he's ready to adopt them and to bless them, but they delay and they push him away. And in effect, they decide to stay in the orphanage. They decide to stay out on the street fending for themselves while God is waiting to adopt them, while God is waiting to incorporate them into their family. And by the way, I'm not talking about people who are still trying to figure out if they believe in Jesus. I'm not talking about the people who have sincere questions. And uh, by the way, your questions are always welcomed here. We, we don't think the truth has anything to be concerned about. If what we teach is the truth, it'll stand up to your questions. And so your questions are welcomed here. We all had questions, maybe still do. But I'm not talking about the people who still have questions that are still trying to figure out if they believe. I'm talking about people who believe fully. People who already know that they're sinners, that they've failed to live up to God's standards. People who already understand that Jesus came to pay the price for their sins. Yet for some reason, they've just been delaying committing themselves to him. It might be that they want to keep doing some of the things that they're doing that they know Jesus wouldn't approve of. And they want to do those things a while longer and so they delay or it might be that they're worried that choosing Jesus would be unpopular with their friends or that it might be unpopular because it would go against some of their family religious background. It might be that they just can't get past their past. That they have this feeling that they're just too bad, too sinful, too far gone for Jesus to forgive. But for whatever reason, they sit in the orphanage while God is striving desperately to adopt them into their family. You know what? I think today is a great day. I think it's the right time for you to accept your adoption. And there's a beautiful picture in this passage that is one of the ways we accept our adoption from him. Look at what it says in verse 26. And when you were baptized, it was as though you had put on Christ in the same way you put on new clothes. The passage says when we're baptized, we change our clothes. We put on Christ like a change of clothes. And this refers to a practice in the early church. Back then, baptisms were done totally naked. Now, I bet you're glad we don't do all of the things today the way that they did them back there. 
okay? But people were baptized totally naked for at least a period of time. And remember, people at that, in that time frame usually only had one set of clothes. They had one outfit that they would wear. And it usually was white because dye was a sign that you were rich. And uh, they wore it and, until it wore out. And they would wash it, but it, the garments would probably be dull and they would be stained and they would be faded. So the person being baptized would take off their old clothes and they would go into the water naked and they would be baptized and they would come up out of the water and then they would be given this brand new set of clothes, pure and clean and white. And they put on the new set of clothes to signify their purity, to signify the fact that Jesus had washed away their sins, that Jesus had cleansed them. You see, what we wear is important. You remember in the Old Testament, there was a man named Joseph, and his dad gave him this special coat, this robe of many colors. You remember what Joseph's brothers thought that the dad was saying when he gave Joseph that robe? He's my favorite. This is my son, and he's my favorite son. And in the New Testament, you remember when the prodigal son came home after squandering his dad's wealth, after wasting his dad's money and embarrassing his dad, when he came home, you remember what the father said? The father said, go get the best robe. Some translations say a new robe and put it on him. You know what the father was saying when he did that? All is forgiven. All is forgotten. This is my son. He's clothed in my robe because this is my son. And when we're baptized, we put on Christ like we're putting on a new set of clothes. What do you think God's saying? He's saying, it's all forgiven. All of your sins are past, they're forgotten, they're forgiven. He's saying, you're one of my favorites. You're my child, my honored child. So here's what I'm wondering right now. I'm wondering if there might be somebody in this room who needs to take that step. Who needs to have today be the right time for them to say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to put on Christ. I'm going to stop delaying it. I think today might be the right time for you to accept your adoption, as we do from time to time. We're ready for spontaneous baptisms today. We're ready to assist people who want to take that step. Our baptistry is warm, and there's clothes that we have ready and towels that we have ready, and we have time to do it in this service, and there's a room full of people who will celebrate with you if you take that step. So why not today? In a minute, we're going to sing a song, and if today is the right time for you, I'm just going to ask you to go over to the door over on this side, and I'll be waiting there for you, and we'll help uh, accomplish your baptism today. We only ask that if it's a child under sixth grade, we want them to attend an orientation with a parent before their baptism, but if you're under sixth grade and you're ready to take this step, you come over there, and we'll celebrate with you, and 
will schedule that orientation. But I'm guessing, I'm guessing there may be people in this room who have been staying in the orphanage, fending for themselves alone on the streets while God is waiting to adopt you into his family. Today's a great day. It's the right time to accept your adoption. Let's pray, shall we?